Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody. Today, we have a friend of ours, a guest. We're going to talk about entrepreneurship, networking, some real estate stuff that I need to know the answer to. We have James. James, welcome. Stoked to be here. This is great. All right. So James has been a friend of ours for many years, and uh, we've always talked in the weeds, and we haven't actually got your full story, which we've learned recently is quite interesting, which is why we wanted to have you come on. Mm -hmm. Um, First off, you smashed your clavicle. We can just address that for the fans. What'd you do? So I was mountain biking, and I... I dislocated my shoulder, went over the bars, pretty, pretty bad smash. So I'm three weeks into recovery now and making the most of it. Yeah. He's doing his PT. Yeah. Uh, But one of the things, so you podcast fans who have listened to us, we've talked a lot about marketing step-by-step in the past. It's one of those things that we pretty much unequivocally tell anybody who's interested in a business they have to do right after the four hour work. Yeah. It's the, it's the course we recommend the most for anyone who wants to run their own business. And James runs that business. That so, sells marketing step-by-step. That sells by marketing step-by-step. <laughs> step. Now, James did not create marketing step-by-step. Step. He was able to network his way into Evan Pagan's business and is now, uh, is it true that you're 50% yeah, owner? Okay. Yeah. So this is- Seven years. Yeah. This is yeah. the part that I actually don't know, yeah. which is how did you get that? And I think this is particularly what the people, the people want to know is- uh, how can they do something similar? So if there's principles to what you did, if you can highlight those in terms of how you got on his radar, how you proved that you were someone that it was deserving and yeah. how long that took to get 50% of a pre-existing business. Yeah, you got you went to a profitable guru-based business and basically now you own half, of it, which is mm-hmm. worth a lot of money. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think that's something people want to replicate. Yeah, so how'd you get started? So I got started. So I grew up on the East Coast of Canada, mm-hmm. Nova Scotia, not a lot of people there. And I've always been success-minded. I've always wanted to try and get ahead. I've always wanted to, I've read the four-hour work week. You guys referenced that, Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss. And I wanted to move towards that. Now, I started out working at a corporate job, the Chamber of Commerce, because I thought that, hey, I need to work my way up a corporate ladder or whatever. I went to college, university, and that's sort of what programmed in you there. But within a year, I realized this isn't for me. I didn't like being on the schedule. I didn't like having to go to my boss and ask for six months in advance to get a vacation. Yeah. I was like, no thanks. So I've always been the type of person that has learned myself. I've, I've, I think it's called an autodidact where you 
you take learning on yourself and you go do things like this. So I remember I was, I would spend my lunch breaks going on YouTube to learn and educate myself about topics that I thought would be valuable in the future. Cause I never really felt that I learned things that could be applicable in college. And I came across this video by Evan Pagan and it just struck my attention because what he did, and I've actually got, I brought some American money down here. I'm Canadian, <laughs> but I brought some American money down here. They wouldn't actually let me use this at the booster smoothie place in the airport. So I still got it, but <laughs> there's this, I might need a bit of help here. Hundies, baby. Hundies. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. So we've got a $1 bill here and a $100 bill here, right? Yeah. And this is how that video started. And he said, why is one bill worth $100 and the other bill is worth a dollar? When they're both paper, mm-hmm. they're both paper. And the answer is the message printed on it. That's, it's the message printed on it. They're both pieces of paper. And that just grabbed my attention here and I wanted to learn more. So I started watching these YouTube videos by Eben. And then I started learning about them. And I realized at the time, back then I remember a pivotal point in my career where I went into a grocery store and there was a self-checkout. And they were like, all the other aisles were full and they're like, oh, you can just go over there. I'm like, but there's nobody there to check me out. They're like, oh, it's self-checkout. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the way things are going. Automation. And I knew I'm the type of person I want to prepare myself and sort of go where the puck is going type person. So it's like, I got to get online. And what I did then is I combined the two and Eben at the time had this business with 70 people working remotely, making millions of dollars. This was, this was a rarity at the time. So what I started doing is learning about that company. I went to their website. I signed up for all their emails. I started going through all their programs and just learning about it. And then what I did is I started going to LinkedIn and I started getting familiar with the people who worked at, it was called Hot Topic Media at the time. Mm -hmm. I started (laughs) Hot Hot Topic Media. (laughs) And I started looking and researching who worked there. And I started I started learning about them, the different positions, because I wanted to learn as much as I could about the company. Were you doing this? Were you going shotgun or sniper? Did you pick just Eben and put this level? Because this is an incredible level of work. Or were, were there three or four companies that you did the same sort of strategy with? No, it was, it was just Eben. Because so you called I had, your shot. Yeah, because I, I searched other things, but he was the one that resonated the most with mm-hmm. me. The way he thought about things, the way he taught it just resonated with me. I'm like, that's who I want to be around. I'm a big believer. You are who you surround yourself with. So I knew if I wanted to create the type of life and success I wanted, I had to get out of this corporate environment and around people who are doing what I want to be doing. So that's what led me to LinkedIn. And I was like, I didn't just go show up and be like, Hey guys, give me a job, you know, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I knew I had to offer some type of value. And I knew that I couldn't just go directly there. I wanted to, from some of the books I read, like Never Eat Alone and different things I'd studied, I wanted to find a way in that could help me stand out. Mm. I've, I've never been, you know, it's similar, you go to a university and then it's just like, oh, well, pass your resume out. I hated that. I didn't want to be that type of person. I wanted some in that would give me like a better chance. Yeah. So that's why I went to LinkedIn. And eventually I found the CEO at the time. His name was Rob on LinkedIn. And I was like, huh, CEO. And so how can I build a relationship with Rob? So, is, so I want to pause you. Is there a principle here? Because I've never done anything like this. I, yeah. always, I always did it myself. Never really had an in-person mentor. I've only read books. Is the answer go to second in command? Because you could have started at the bottom of the organization. You yeah. picked a less forward-facing second in command. Do you think that that's a repeatable principle? 
It, it absolutely is. Uh-huh. And in particular, though, I didn't just go to the second in command. What I did when I started learning about Rob is I didn't want to just go at it from a business perspective. I wanted to know what else is he interested in? What, what are some of his hobbies? What are some of his interests? And so I found a personal blog of his at the time because I started researching Rob online and, and I found a personal blog he had where he shared some of his insights about business, life, and all that sort of stuff. And I imagine this was not a popular blog. No, it wasn't. So I started, I started Nine people. Read it. Yeah. 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 It, Cause I could tell it was just a personal interest. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, you know what, he's, he's a CEO who does really well, very successful, but this was probably of just as equal importance to him mm-hmm. putting out those things. So I started reading the, the blog posts yet. And I noticed they only had a couple comments each. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I would read these and I would spend hours then thinking about what could I put as a reply that would be valuable to both him and other people reading the article. And I started commenting every single post. <laughs> wow. Literally. I started commenting every single post. I'm just imagining this from the perspective of someone who's trying to get in the charisma on command. Not that you guys should, but I, I'm thinking of this because we recently put a call to action. Heads up for those of you who did submit. I read all of them. I replied to several of you. Some of you haven't gotten back. Shame on you. Shame. Check your emails. <laughs> um, but and some of you have book times to talk to me uh, someone but, from my own alma mater how dare you <laughs> so this would be like someone taking our Ivan going to his Instagram I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to blow him up oh he would love this <laughs> I didn't want to say this because I didn't want to blow him up, blow him up. All right. no no it would this be, is, this is that's way too hard it's, work it's not me it would be Ivan yeah. no it's going to our Ivan and he doesn't have a blog but he has an Instagram where he's you know doing boxing stuff and commenting helpful advice or like things related to boxing. Well, he also had Golden Hippo at one point, which was investing. And I think if you had been, if you had been active on his pet project, which was his investing content he was creating, you could have formed a relationship with him. Got it. So second or third in commands pet project, find it and provide value. And I think it's being genuinely interested. Mm -hmm. Like, so I've, I did this when I worked at the chamber of commerce as well, because I knew, okay, how can I be successful there? I needed to network. I needed to get to know people. So one of the people at the time there had this magazine called progress magazine, one of the most popular magazines in all of Atlantic Canada. He put on all these different networking events. I'm like, that's the guy I want to know. So what I found out is that he was training for like this 10 K half marathon charity thing, whatever. Yeah. And then I found the person who he, he bought shoes from and was a bit of his trainer. And I was like, hey, how could I get to know Neville? That was his name. Wow. Yeah. And so he said, well, you know what? We do this run every Saturday morning down at Point Pleasant Park. Why don't you come down? So I decided to come down. Now, not everybody's willing to do this, right? I had to get up out of bed. It was I early. It was 9 I would be embarrassed to put this level. And I think I th- shame on me, I suppose, for being so prideful that I couldn't humble myself in this way. But yeah. Yeah. So I showed up and guess what? I ran side by side Neville for the next two hours. Uh And you're going to have such a higher quality of conversation getting to know somebody there than if I sent an email where he's getting probably thousands of Mm -hmm. other emails just being like, Hey man, can I like take you out for coffee? Yeah. Yeah. The worst, the worst offer ever. I want to take you to coffee and pick your brain. Exactly. So it's, it's those types of opportunities. So then with Rob, for example, I started commenting And I just wanted to add, my mindset was I want to add as much value as possible. And I did that, and I'll never forget it. I was a soccer referee at the time, too, as a passion. And I was down in the Annapolis Valley, and I got an email. I had Hotmail at the time, and it was from Rob. And he said, hey, James, thanks for all the great comments on my blog. What are you up to business-wise? So he reached out to me. Okay. He reached out to me. Because you'd shown that you were business savvy with your comments. 
I, I think because I was offering value and he saw this reader who was reading it. I, and I, again, it wasn't after the first or second or third yeah. time I did that. Mm-hmm. I kept showing up. Can this you give me after, a time frame just so I know? I would say probably two or three months. Wow. Two okay. or three months. Gosh. So you're already in, you're truly in a league of your own in the fact that you found this guy, commented, and then the tenacity with which you continue to do it without positive reinforcement. I, I also think. think it helps. It really helps that the person had a small audience. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and that, that's key because I knew I had a higher chance of getting attention then. Yeah. Right? So I, I knew that. And so that's why I continued to comment there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I knew because it was an interest to him, he's probably reading every single one of those yep. blog mm-hmm. posts. You know, I certainly would if I had a personal blog. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, so then he reached out to me and then I was like, oh, awesome. Now the reality was at the time I was 25 years old, you know, quitting my job because I didn't like the corporate thing. And the reality was I wasn't up to anything crazy. This <laughs> you know, So that's, that, that was sort of at, you know, at the time I just let him know, like I was honest about it. I'm just like, Hey, you know what? I'm just beginning my career and I'm actually looking for other opportunities. And I noticed, you know, you run hot topic media and that's something I'd be interested in. Want to jump on a quick call and see how I could add some value. Didn't respond. Mm. Didn't respond. And when I asked for the call, so I had to follow up three times, three times. I didn't give up on that. You know, I followed up three times. Then we eventually got on a call. How did you follow up? Because I get what I would describe as spammed because uh, of my leader position in Charisma and Command. And I get emailed and saying, hey, I really want to do your email marketing. And then I'll get six of these emails from the same person. I just keep deleting them without reading them. And it doesn't make me more likely. It makes me like them less. So how did you... Yeah, what, was, what was in the emails? Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what was in the emails per se. This was again like 13 years ago. But it was, it was more so about wanting to follow, like just a little nudge. And it wasn't... And it you were continuing to comment on the blog post through this? Period? I was continuing to comment on the blog post. And it was more so... Um, it was more so I now actually, I'm just thinking about this because I think what actually happened was I continued to follow up and then ironically, they sent out an email, hot topic media sent an email saying, Hey, look, we want to hire three salespeople. Mm. So then what happened is that I sent him an email at some point where I said, Hey, I saw you guys sent this out here. I'm willing to work for two months free. And then makes, that was, makes a lot of sense. He wasn't the hiring manager, but I remember he forwarded that email, copied me and sent it over to Emily, who was the hiring manager said, Hey, Emily, check out this. This looks like our type of guy. Mm. Period. I buy that hundred percent. That makes a lot of sense. So he probably felt like, Oh, this kid wants to work. I'm not sure if I can. He wants a job. And he got a little spooked. And then when you saw that they had a need, you're like, I'm gonna fill that need for you in a painless way. And he and which he went, Yeah. And advent actually got gosh, again, guys, sorry. This is this is this is um I'm forgetting a key piece of this. This is again so long ago. But actually, what I did is that was after this other step. So after he didn't want to get on a call. I said, I noticed one of his categories was networking. He had all these different business categories like investing, angel investing, networking, this type of stuff. And I said, hey, Rob, I worked at the Chamber of Commerce. I'd be willing to create some content for you, seven steps that I've learned from networking. So he's like, okay, sure. Why don't you put together a draft? Show me what you got. 
So then I spent like the next week putting together this seven steps that I learned about networking while working at the Chamber of Commerce. And he put that as the title. He's like seven insider steps from a Chamber of Commerce employee. Yeah. And so then that happened. And then after that is when I Got reached it. out about working. Yeah. So there was that. So that's where. So he felt that your content was at least good enough to go. I on was just blog. thinking, I was just thinking, yeah, there's, there's something in here, which isn't as sexy, which is that that work was high quality. Cause again, I, we get sent free, Hey, I can make your YouTube videos. And then the video is just not good. And I appreciate the effort, but yep. the content is not encouraging. So he obviously thought that you made good content. Yeah. And the, the key thing was too, is I was, I wanted to lead with value. I want to, I was putting myself in his position. I'm like, okay, he's a CEO. He's got probably not a lot of time. He's got this blog that he wants to maintain. How could I make mm. his life easier? And I knew that if he had high quality content that fit underneath one of his categories, he's kind of probably being like, sweet, this is awesome. So I wanted to make it super easy for him to say yes. Yeah. I think the pet project part's really important because I'm thinking of the guy that we reached out to from the podcast submissions. He offered help with D and D. Yeah, people that offer, it's fascinating. People that say they can help with Charisma on Command, I'm distrustful because I've seen so many that haven't worked. I am. We like, also have a budget I, for Charisma on Command yeah. that we, free work, uh, saving time is important. And so paying for high yeah, quality yeah, work yeah. for Charisma on Command is I easy. have money for Charisma on Command yes. in order to hire for experts. For D&D, someone somebody comes, comes in and is like, I can help for free with D&D is like, I'm going to get like, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think the pet project part is really key I here. agree, I agree. And that's because you weren't trying to write for- Eben's business. No. You weren't no. saying, hey, I'll do a free blog post for Eben's business, which has a giant audience and a huge email list, because they would have said probably not. But for his personal project, that's where a it's- Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. It's no different than when I first started learning real estate investing, I had a mentor and I offered to mow his lawns because I knew that was part of maintenance of, of property. And I just wanted to be around him. I wanted to add value. So it's like, yeah. Hey, look, I'll mow the lawns for you. Fascinating. I, I want to talk about real estate, but I don't, I don't yeah, want to yeah. derail us just for personal interest. So you guys go yeah. ahead with the Evan Pagan part, but yeah. real estate's where I have a lot of questions. So, so that, so that's what, so again, the, the key thing is my mindset and approach. I didn't want to be like everybody else. And so I found this way and I added value and that put me in the position. Then when I saw that email come out of like, Hey, we're hiring that I knew Rob would respond to my email. Cause here I was I made all these great comments. I made a good first impression, which is something I know you guys talk a lot about. Boom. And then I added value. So then when they put out this email of like, Hey, we want to hire somebody. I knew I needed to take another step to stand out. Cause there was hundreds of people applying. That's where I said, Hey, look, I'm willing to work for free mm. Got it. two months free prove myself. And I even made it less awkward by saying, and if it doesn't work out, we could part way friends. No big deal. Yeah. Right. So I didn't want to get Great. into any sort of like weird, like you, you know, anything like that. Right. I think people are allergic uh, to uh, neediness and, and implicit obligation. And you, you relieved him of that. Yeah. So I want to, I want to move it along. I'm anticipating that the next part of the story is you did sales, you crushed it, you worked hard and you uh, stood out. Yeah, round the clock. Because again, yeah. my mindset there was, oh, awesome. I got the opportunity now. So I had to go through the whole hiring process just like everybody else. I didn't get to bypass that. So I got top graded. It was a really rigorous process. Mm -hmm. But then when I got on my mindset, and I think this is so important anytime you're starting something new, is first impression. I want to make a killer first impression. I knew there was three other people that were joining that team there. And this was a bit of a test project because it was new for yep. them. And I was like, I got to make a first impression. So I worked around the clock. I, this is true for me as someone who uh, receives stuff. First impressions, I think, are particularly powerful when people have low bandwidth. That's when you rely on your heuristics. And 
now that, for instance, I'm talking to several people, it's like, hey, maybe you come in, maybe you do this. The first piece of work they does weighs he- even heavier than it would if I had more bandwidth because I don't have time to consider people's complexity and depth. And I think that includes the format. Yeah. So, so for instance, if you're asking for a document that has t- Crismon command titles and one person just sends you like a list and another person sends you a PowerPoint that has the title and why they picked it. And it's yeah. just like, these two videos did well, just something that looks yeah good and looks like they put in a little bit more work. Even if the titles were the same, that's going to win. Yeah. That's going to make 100%. a stronger impression about, oh, this, this is the person stuff that is. I hated doing. Cause I yeah. was like, who cares about the coloring? And not what I do when that. I come up with titles. Yeah. When I come up with titles, I do a word document for myself, but, but I don't have to get hired by myself. Yes. So I can do that. Okay. So you, you go in, you crush it. I crush it. I make, I triple the amount of income I was making. It was for that. I was making $32,000 a year mm-hmm. and now I'm making six figures. And again, it's because I believe I just worked my butt off and I was passionate about what I was doing. Here I was now getting to be around people who I wanted to become and talking about products that I love that made a big difference. In was my that life. a salary or was that commission? It's commission. So that, so you made six figures because you were making them multiple six figures. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, I will say, man, what you're describing, there's definitely principles, but to go in and crush a sales position is challenging. <laughs> like sales is, is very different from it sounds like a lot of these behind the scenes skills that you're having. Now you're on, are you on the phone with people? A hundred percent. It was all on the phone. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was all on the phone. And but how do you go from, cause you make more than a hundred thousand dollars now. How do you yeah. go from, I'm a sales guy to, I own half the business and I make millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll get to that. But one, one thing I want to point out here is that a lot of people do think sales is wrong. I never saw or not wrong, but hard or difficult. I, I would say I took a lot of the principles that you probably teach inside of Chris, where I was interested in people. I love doing this. And that passion came through that it made it very easy and effortless. Yeah. I don't think so sales I, is hard. I feel yeah. like if I, I've thought about this, if someone just robbed me of the ability to be an entrepreneur, yeah. I would go into sales for sure. Yeah. So I did that. And then I maintained that same principle of my mindset. When I did this again, some people might go in there and be like, Oh, I'm the number one person. I'm hot shit. I want you to pay me more or whatever. No, that's not what I did. I've always had the mindset of how can I offer more value than I get back in return? Mm-hmm. So then I just started saying like, hey, look, what about if I train some of the other salespeople and helped increase sales there? That led me to the sales leadership position. Then I got an extra thousand bucks per month, which is a lot of money to me at the time, you know, an extra thousand bucks. And then I got that experience. Then what happened is my manager, he took another position inside of the company and then they needed somebody to grow and build the sales team. So I was like, I'll do it. Shut up. I didn't know exactly how to do it, but I figured it out because my mindset was, I can figure this out. This is a skill. I can learn how to do it. I feel like this is the hard, harder. It's like everyone can get on the LinkedIn and do the research, but you're basically saying be the best person at the company, <laughs> yeah, which I think true. is very hard to emulate. It, well, it, it's being the best person, but I think it's also like that attitude and that willingness to take on projects and mm-hmm. offer more value than yes from return and, and studying to like increase your skills and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think attitude is so important. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not like, you know, any of this sort of stuff, there we go. but I feel it's like that approach and attitude has got w- w- me to where I am. So then what happened, and again, this is the same pattern existed where Eben at the time was moving on to other projects. And so he was looking for somebody to take over and run the business. Had you had personal interactions? No. With- Okay. No. This is incredible, dude. No. <laughs> You're such, you, you worked so freaking hard. My yeah, God. right? 
So Evan's still the guru. I'm He's sure still you admire the, the guy. You admire him greatly. He, he knows he knows me a little bit because here's this kid that came in here yeah. and starts, you know, putting up sales numbers or whatever. And then my manager, I think, was in position to sort of take over and run the company. Yeah. Right. So that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out, like again, just by fate or whatever, my manager ended up getting married and having a child and was like, Hey, look, I don't want to become an entrepreneur at this yeah. time. That's a bit too risky for me. Now, me being in my position then I was probably about what 28 years old or something like that I was like gosh this could be my moment I've worked so hard up into this I remember reading the stories about the FedEx person who started off in delivery yeah. and then became CEO <laughs> you know and I was like oh gosh those are just dreams or whatever but I, I always that had true? The, I didn't know that some there's, uh, someone there's Microsoft stuff janitors who became managers yeah I mean, you're the right? hardest core entrepreneur that I know yeah. I, that you are someone who would exist within a pre-existing organization and move their way to the top. I don't know anybody that yeah. has done that like you. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is because again, I don't consider myself to be smarter. I'm introverted. These are not probably qualities that lead to that position, but I just work my butt off and I love what I do. Right. So I think that got me to where I am and then I'm yeah. willing to take chances. So two, two very tough things to replicate, <laughs> but keep going. This Possibly. Is right. So then, so then, <laughs> no. so yeah. So then, so then it got me to this position where because my manager at the time, his name was Rick, wasn't taking that on. I was like, you know what? I'll do it. So I was like, I approached Evan and said, hey, why don't we partner on this? And I can run the business. And he's got it. His reaction has to be like, are you crazy? You're 27? Like <laughs> A little bit. To which point I said, and I'm willing to put some skin in the game. Uh-huh. I'm willing to invest in it. Let's do this as partners. Because he offered me. He's like, okay, well, you know, I'll give you 10%. Why don't you run it? You know, that type of thing. I was like, I want to play a bigger game. Yeah. I'm willing to partner on this. Let's go all in on it. I'm willing to put some money into it. Was this on a new venture or this was his existing business? So what we ended up doing was starting a new business together and porting all that stuff over. But you got to, to use his business. you got to use his pre-existing yeah, assets. It all got licensed so over. You kind of bought part yeah, of licensed, his equity. Okay. Yeah. So licensed it over and then we started a brand new business Interesting. together. Yeah, that we're 50-50 in. And then I had to run that from the ground up. But he's receiving the licensing fees. So you have this new business that's 50-50, but part of this business expenditure is just sending his business licensing fees. No, because the way we set it up is his contribution was the license, oh. and then mine was the capital. Got mine it. was Got the it. capital, put it Got in it. there. Yeah. So he, he's like, you get my content, and you put in money to, to have access to his yeah. content. Was that that's money then spent on hiring employees and running ads and things like that? Well, we had a team that I had to then curate and some, some people I had to, some people I had to let go. And so I had to make the team really lean. And then we had promotions that we were running. So we used those promotions to generate some money. And then we used some of that capital to grow the business and that type of thing. So got it. Yeah. we got a couple of dogs in the mix. I don't know. If yeah, you got they're, a couple, they're, are they getting picked up on the mic? Come here. They're trying to figure out who's the alpha. They're trying to figure out there's two yeah. boys in the house. We don't normally have two guys. He wants to get over there. Come here, guy. Go show that doggy who's, who's the boss. Um, but go ahead. So yeah. then you own half. So then we own half. That's yeah. a happy ending, basically. <laughs> and so then, but that was just the start, right? Because that's, it's like, okay, great, I'm in that position. But that doesn't just mean, you know, things happen automatically. So then I had to, I had to work on growing the business, implementing new things, running it. And that's where we are today. Mm-hmm. The, the yeah. groovy. He, they're trying to, they need to smell each other and settle down. Yeah, yeah. You want to pull him over so that your dog can say hello? Pull my dog to your dog? I feel oh, like, that's, hey, what's, I feel like yeah. that's what's going on as they need to sniff each other. Yeah. Hey, Groovy, come on. Caesar Milan is watching this and wincing. Yeah, yeah right? This is not how you control your pack, dude. What's up? What's up? 
There we go. There just there was there was tension. I felt it. They were okay. looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. Imposing. Come here, bud. Imposing. Come over here, and then we'll, we can just cut back in. Not you, girl. <laughs> Groovy, come. Thank you, guy. Please come over here. Okay. Got it. All right. So now you've got fifty percent. You're saying it's just the beginning because you have to sell and grow and actually make this company work. Right. That's when the real work begins. Mm -hmm. So everything up until that point, I was like, cool, this put me in a position to be successful. Mm -hmm. Now I've got it. It's the same thing though. as like when I got onto the business and was as a salesperson. Can you give us the numbers? If you, I mean, if you can't, you can't, I'm curious if, uh, rev or profit numbers, like from year one and how, cause you're, how was your leadership basically? So this got you access to be the leader. And then how did you do? Yeah. Well, it was, it was quite the journey, you know, (laughs) best, best, decision I made in my life financially, whatever. So we started, I remember that money I put in, that's what was in the bank account. Mm -hmm. And then over the last seven years, we've done $29 million in sales. Mm -hmm. So every promotion I basically had to, I remember those times where we're like getting close to the zero and it's Mm -hmm. just like, damn. And I, I had to come up with ways to generate money to stay afloat to pay our team and learn all these different skills to do that Mm -hmm. as well as make profit as well as continue to grow the business and how is profitability uh has it grown year to year has it been like how's that done yeah profitability we're at 30 Mm percent so that's our profitability and we run a a digital education business so it is Mm -hmm. naturally more profitable i'd say most businesses like Mm -hmm. a restaurant or whatever and so that's been really good and most importantly though a big part of my mandate and what I wanted to do was my business partner was heavily involved in the business at the time. So my goal was to remove him so he could go do other things and wasn't as dependent on him. So that was a lot of the work I did was evergreening. If people don't know what that means, it means having a promotion run year round and be profitable and whatnot. And so systematize the business so that it was able to do that without him. So he was, you know, able to contribute like you know, a day, a month or something like that if we need. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, so here's my next question. So this is the piece that I, you've you're very, not mum about it, not that you wouldn't talk, but we've never gotten to it. Yeah. I hear you have a hundred real estate units. Is this true? Oh, are we doing this now? Thank well, goodness. Well, this is, so here's, <laughs> I have to add this together. Is that, is that like a, is that a fair? Yeah, it's, it's over, it's over a hundred. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I don't get. 30% profitability, 27, I'm going to call it $30 million. 30% of that is $9 million profit cut in half right off the bat. It's four and a half million dollars over several years. Yeah, that's good, but that's not a hundred units. Good. Yeah. So like, how? Yeah, over ten years, that's four hundred grand a year. How and when are you taking what is a solid chunk of money? Yeah. But and turning it into what seems like a real estate empire. Uh, empire. <laughs> yeah. Which and and so may help you understand what kind of units are these? Are these like shanties? Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. How? Yeah. No. No. Not they're units that you or I would live in. Really. You know, that type of thing. So yeah. How, never... This is the part where I feel like the magic is made because the numbers that you're talking about to me personally are like I can I can do that I can see that I cannot conceive of a hundred units being yeah. owned by me. So t- t- walk me through where real estate entered. Yeah. And quite frankly, you... I couldn't either. And the yeah. thing is, is I think if you want to be successful, 
you don't think about that initially because mm-hmm. my real estate portfolio started with one single duplex, which mm-hmm. is a single property with two units in it. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I realized is as I started getting the success, which was like, I'd never experienced that before. It was a huge milestone to go from to the six figure level, hundred thousand dollars plus. Mm-hmm. And then when I partnered with Eben, it was a whole new level of success. And I knew that I had to find a way to build wealth long-term because I didn't want to be one of those people that just started buying Lamborghinis and Mm -hmm. fancy jewelry or whatever. Nobody taught me that. So I quickly realized that making money and building wealth are two totally different skill sets. I do not have the building wealth skill set. Yeah. (laughs) So those those are two different skills, right? And and a lot of my friends don't. Like they're really great. They make a lot, but they don't have that. And so- the model I learned growing up with my parents was you just save it. Mm-hmm. You just put it in the bank account and you save it. Yep. And so I remember back when I started making six figures, a mentor at my time who lived in Nova Scotia or whatever, I'd saved up $50,000, which was a lot of money for me at the time. And I saved it up and I went out for lunch with him. It was at Moxie's. I remember it just like it was yesterday. And I was so stoked to tell him like, hey, guess what, Jeff? I just saved up $50,000 in my bank account. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me. He's like, James, you're an idiot. <laughs> I was like, what? And my stomach sank. Yeah. But I didn't have a big enough ego to be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I was T- like, why? Didn't you just hear? I have 50 grand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I won. No. I was like, why do you say that, Jeff? He's like, because that money's not working for you. I was like, huh. He knows something I don't. And so I was like, well, how do you make that money work for you? Mm-hmm. What, what do you do? He was a successful guy or whatever. And I thought he made all of his success because he was an insurance salesperson and he did that and he made, you know, multiple six figures. But he's like, I invest in real estate. That's where I make most of my money. I was like, how does that work? And I remember he just showed me what it was. And he's like, I buy these properties. And it's like, imagine, you know, somebody buying you stocks in a company, but they're buying the stock for you and then you make money. And if it goes up, you make even more money. You show me all these different ways you can profit from it. I was like, that's what I want to do. I'd read the rich dad, poor dad several Mm -hmm. years earlier. I got inspired by that, but I never considered myself a real estate person. I'm not a handy person. I'm still not. I don't know how to use like a skill saw and electricity and all that. I don't know any of that stuff, Mm -hmm. but I was so interested in it that I was like, I can learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. And I believe you can learn anything if you have the right mentorship and you're willing to put the time into work on it consistently. So, so. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, my question around real estate is because I, I think everybody knows you can make money on real estate. Yeah. But the question is, how do you know what to buy? Because I assume you can also lose money in real estate. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people who are past the point where they're trying to make money just to cover their rent and their food, like there's some people who are just trying to make it. They're just trying to live. And there's other people that go, I make more money than I spend. Yeah. So I have savings. And I think they would like the idea conceptually of I'm going to become someone who has passive income by putting my money to work. That sounds great. And it goes, great, go be a real estate investor. And they go, well, how do I pick the right property? Like, how do I know? Is that even the right question to be asking? Because that's, I think that's where a lot of people go is they go, okay, I'm, I'm now, you know, I'm in my twenties or my thirties and I've paid off my student loans and I have some money in the bank and you're like, I have 50 grand. And like, sure, maybe I have 30, 40, 50 grand. And you go, go get into real estate. And they go, I have no idea how to execute on that. Right. So how do they, so how does someone do that? If they have 50 grand in the bank, where do they, what do they do now that they want to be a real estate investor? And knowing what I know now, you don't even need 50 grand in the bank. But 
where I started is there, like everything, I think there's, you can approach it with a get rich quick type of mentality. I never had that. Mm -hmm. I wanted this to be a long-term thing. What I decided to do was set myself up for a, as little risk possible scenario. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I found out about duplexes. I didn't know this before I started investing, which is a single property where there's two, two uh, different rental units. Mm -hmm. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to go live in, I'm going to buy one. I'm going to live in one side and rent the other out. I'm going to live there either way. All my friends at the time were buying houses that were $400,000. That's, you know, what a house three, $400,000 cost at the time on the East coast, whatever. Cause they wanted the space. They wanted mm-hmm. the amount of space. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice a little bit mm-hmm. and buy a duplex. It was a thousand square foot living place and rent out the other side. And that's what I did. And I was like, you know what? Even if I don't rent out the other side, I'm still going to live here. And the property, the numbers on it cash flowed. So I wouldn't lose that much, but it was in a desirable area where I would live myself. So I knew there was going to be no problem renting it out. And that's how I got in. And my mindset. At was that the, the extent of your diligence in terms of like, I think, how do I find a renter is part of the question for real estate was your entire diligence. I know I would want to live in this neighborhood. So I just will bank on other people wanting to live on it. No, I then learned about the formulas to make sure it was cash flow positive, whether I live there or not, because I was like, if this works out and I did it as a little test, I was like, you know what, James, I'm going to invest in this worst case scenario. I keep it for five years. I decide I don't want to be a landlord. Real estate's not for me. I sell it. I probably break even at the worst, Okay, but I invest in it. And I was like, if it does work out, Man, who knows what's possible. So I did the numbers of what would happen if I didn't live there and took market rents and subtracted the expenses like vacancy rate, insurance, interest, um, any utilities, property management, that type of stuff. And it made money. Mm-hmm. So I knew that, okay, even if worst case scenario, I like move back to my parents' basement or something like that, I could rent this out and it's going to be self-sufficient. And how did you get tenants? So when I bought it, it came with tenants on one side and then it was vacant on the other side. Got it. So I moved it. So that's <laughs> yeah. called an owner-occupied yeah, yeah. building. And the property I built, the property I bought or invested in was not needing a lot of renovations. So it was more or less move-in ready. Yeah. That's interesting. So that would be like, so I rent right now. So that would yeah. be like if my, the owner of the house that I live in sold the house and they go, it comes with Ben Altman yeah, yeah. and he pays this much a month. Yeah. Interesting, because that's always been one of my questions with real estate is what if I can't get a tenant and now I just have a property? Because I don't want to bet on uh, just the property appreciating. You're yeah, saying you can, I just don't find, recommend that. you can just find someplace that already has a tenant. So you go, well, at least for eight months, this guy's locked down. Yeah. yeah, see, I think, and that's one of the big misconceptions I think about real estate. If you just bet on the property appreciating, that's speculation, mm-hmm. not investing. I wanted the math to make sense on the property that it cash flowed month after month. And if it does that, then if it appreciates, that's a bonus. Then the mortgage pay down because your tenants are paying down your mortgage. That's another way that you build equity. Mm-hmm. So then once I started getting this, and I think the biggest thing is like all those same fears that you mentioned, like, how am I going to find it? I had those same fears come up, you know, and I was like, oh my God, but I learned to overcome those. And I wanted to take that chance mm-hmm. anyways. You're also much more hardworking than I am is the sense I'm getting well, from this conversation. Well, <laughs> maybe like, I mean, that's part of it. I did definitely work hard. I don't think... I, I believe that's just important, like 10 year overnight success type thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think you got to work hard at it, but I'm just passionate about it. I was like, I want to learn this. And I, I decided to do that. And then one door led to the next. And I found that to be true in my own journey. So can you start, uh, your friends are buying $400,000 houses, this property, roughly $400,000. It was 309. 309 cut yeah. in half for you and them. 
that you got. No, he bought the whole thing. Three hundred. I know. I'm just thinking like his his effective part of the mortgage was one fifty for him, and the there was effective that he was renting out and receiving uh, money from. Then you get a two and a three. How does how does one become two becomes three? And are they similar types of properties? You were they duplexes all the way through? Did you stick to yeah. what you knew in that area? Did you sell the first duplex before you bought your second mm-hmm. property, or did you take like yeah? How did yeah. you go from owning? So you own a duplex. That sounds achievable to me. I could I could own a duplex. Yeah. Then where? How did you expand your real estate empire from there? So then, like just moving into that duplex, I got ahead in my life in my career because if I was to go rent something. I would have probably been paying $1,500 a month. But the mortgage and expenses I was responsible for for the whole property with $1,000 coming in, that was the rent I was getting from the other side, yeah. I was only paying probably around 600 mm. So boom, now I started saving more money mm-hmm. every month, every year. Mm-hmm. Then what I realized when I started getting into more real estate investing is that if you live in one side of the property and it's called owner-occupied, you only have to put down 5%. I didn't know that my first time. So I put my whole $50,000 down and put down 20%. Mm -hmm. But I realized if you live in one side, you only have to put down 5%. So my next one, I bought another $300,000 property and I had to put down 15 grand. And you moved into that one. And I moved into it. And you got two tenants for the old one. And I got, I only got one other tenant because there was already one there. And then I, I rented that out. So boom, now that's set and it's making money. And then I moved in the next one. Did you three times owner occupy? Like, I did it three times. <laughs> okay, yeah. so you owner occupied three. I did three it three leases. times, and there's there's a. So cap was that three that. years? By the way, that was like a year lease, a year lease, a year lease. It, those I got about three within a two year period. Okay, but it was so much slower. Well, you, you don't have to sign a lease because you own the property. Fair enough. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. can break your own. You, can, you just can. You can um, go in there for two months. Well, here's what I'm going. Okay, it takes. I, where does it go exponential? Like, where do you go? Because you're not on track for a hundred. You're yeah. on track for. After, I don't know, 12 at this yeah. rate. Like, so where yeah, it goes 10 years ago, so you, yeah, yeah. Should, you should have 20 if you're yeah. doing two a year. Yeah. So where it goes exponential is I was buying properties at the time that were more or less moving ready because I'm not a handy person. I know how to renovate mm-hmm. them, whatever. Then when I started learning about equity and, in, and most importantly, learning about how to use other people's money, I had a real estate mentor. And, he, and again, I was going into this with the mindset of like, oh gosh, I got to make all the money for my down payment. That's going to take me forever. And I'm going to, you know, slow burn or whatever. But he's like, no, James, you use other people's money. So when that started making sense to me, what I realized is you could build equity in properties, take that out and go use it to buy your next one. Mm-hmm. So for example, my fourth property was a property that was used to be actually a crack house. So I got it below market value because nobody else wanted it. Now the actual property, the foundations of it were pretty solid, what we call the bones in real estate, the roof, the foundation, all that type of stuff, the electrical. It was just the cosmetics, the shitty floor, the, mm-hmm. the vanities in the bathroom, that type the of crack stuff. pipes. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, that type of stuff. And so then what I did is I fixed that up. I wanted to take on another challenge. So you, so up. now you, and I think this is, sorry, when you the, say you fixed that up, you mean you went in with your hands or you mean you hired, I hired some people and then I did some of the work myself. I learned how to paint. Oh, wow. I learned how to paint Got because it. I was like, okay, painting can't be that hard. It was time consuming. You love learning. And so you're, wor- you're working, you're running <laughs> Evan Pagan's business. What's that? You're the CEO of Evan Pagan's business. And you come home when and you leave from work, houses. you go paint a crack house. And then you go home and sleep in your own bed. Yeah, so at, at that time, I wasn't the CEO yet. I was probably the team manager. Got it. So I well, would you're work working all eight day. hours a day, 10 hours a day. How, how many hours are you working in sales at that time? Oh, it was a full day, eight to 10. Eight, okay, yeah. so eight to 10 hours a day. 
And then yeah. af- after which you drive from the office to your crack house and yep. you start painting. Yes. For an hour. Sometimes or, I would stay up till 2 a.m. And then you go home, sleep, yeah. start again. But here's the thing. Here's the thing Incredible. is I wasn't doing that year round. I knew that, hey, if I put this effort in for three months, that's what it would take to do a property like that. Three months, boom. And I just, my goal at the time, guys, was one new property a year. Because I was like, gosh, if I do this for 20 years, I'm going to be set for yeah. life. But it reminds me a bit of, have you ever heard the book Fastlane Millionaire? No. So there is, there is, when we were starting our business, there was two schools of thought. The four-hour work week, which is a lifestyle business, work four hours a week is not true, but four hours a day, let's say. Yeah. And, you know, not make a lot of money, but just have a lifestyle that you liked and hopefully you can enjoy forever. And then the other was this Fastlane Millionaire. Basically said, like, bust your ass to build a real estate empire or, or build a big business, sell it, and then just be rich. And you kind of went that second route of like, bust my ass, but just accumulate wealth to the point where now you don't have to worry about money. Yeah, yeah my mindset was to delay a little bit of gratification yeah. because I knew if I could invest five years of my life, and this is when, again, I was like late 20s. Mm-hmm. So I knew if I could invest five years of my life and build a foundation, I'd never have to worry about that stuff mm-hmm. and in again. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a very fast lane millionaire yeah, mindset. So that's, that's the mindset I went into. And then I also knew that most success, it's like that hockey stick. It starts yep. off slow. Mm-hmm. And so then what I realized, this is, you know, we can fast forward to your question, Charlie, about how did the, you start getting a hundred? Because then after I started accumulating one property a year, something interesting happened where when I went back to refinance them, they're like, Oh, guess what? The property has gone up in value and you paid down the mortgage. So when I go refinance it, I'm able to take money out of it. Boom. Now I have a chunk to go invest in another property. Mm-hmm. And you do that five times and you can buy, you know what I mean? You can buy so even more properties. You have, a, I want to, I want to isolate this. There's a number of ways in which you're, you are doing value add. And I want to just make sure I'm understanding them. One you said is like, you're actually painting some of the houses. That's a initially small I was. Yep. It sounds like a big living way there as well. Being, living, living in the duplex is, is a value add. It's, it sounds like one of the ways is that you're like, researching properties and going to the bank and like spending a considerable amount of time understanding the real estate market in your area. Is that true? Okay. Definitely. Do you have a a manager at this point for the properties? Like if somebody has a leak in their roof, do they call you? No, absolutely not. They call a manager. Yes. Does one manager or one management company do all 100 properties? Yes. Okay. So, so every, every one of the properties you own at this point, if an earthquake were to occur or a flood were to occur, they all call one person who handles all your properties. Interesting. Correct. So what is your, now that you have the hundred, what is your involvement week to week, month to month in terms of managing tenant happiness and managing house or selecting new, are you still in? So are you still in that? You're the selector guy. Well, can I get the, cause this, this is actually a question I have about my own involvement in real yeah. estate. Mm-hmm. What is your, forget, let's say you capped it at a hundred. Your greed has been satiated. You make enough. What is the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month involvement you have in keeping tenants happy and keeping houses well-maintained? Yeah, so that's the property manager's responsibility to make sure the tenants mm-hmm. are maintained and all that sort of stuff. So I spend about an hour a month reviewing with her in detail, the rents, the vacancy rates, the projects, all that type of stuff. And then to your question, Charlie, I spend about 10 to 15 minutes a day reviewing the market I invest in, looking at new properties, seeing what's sold Got it. to keep my but finger if, on the pulse. If you it. sold your equity in Evan Pagan's business to, yep. the, to the next young James, the 28-year-old hungry guy, yep. and you stop buying properties, you would work one hour a month maintaining your current 100 Just properties. to maintain, yeah. Is that right? Correct. Just to maintain the current one, yeah. Okay. That's and now, fascinating. Because I mean, honestly, what's funny is like, 
that sounds like the dream. I think people may or may not have the tolerance to get there. But once you get there, unless you don't like rent seeking behavior and you think real estate is evil, which is a common <laughs> view these days, but maybe even fair, which, uh, <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, to, to that point, I actually don't see, cause keep yeah, in I'd, mind, love to hear, I'd love to hear your philosophical stance on rent seeking right. behavior since you're, so not I, that you would have any bias. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what I learned from doing it. It was like, I buy dilapidated properties, fix them up, yeah. then improve the area that give jobs to contractors, painters, electricians, like there's a lot that goes into it behind the scenes. Yes, I know sometimes landlords get a bad rap. Oh, they just jack up the rent. They do this, they do that. And there are renters like, and when you, we talked about the beginning of this conversation, like I would live in all my properties because I made the decision. I wouldn't, didn't want to invest in C class or D class areas where you can make more money, but you're going to have more hassles. You're going to have this. Yeah. So I invest in what you would probably consider more B class areas. They aren't the downtown. Is this your terminology or this is real real estate terminology? People dif have different terminology. Yeah, there's okay. usually A class, B class, C class. Got it. So A class would be downtown like Los Angeles, for example. But if you go to the suburbs, that's more like say a B or C class. Yeah. If you go to like, you know, really dilapidated areas, it's going to be like C or D class. So yeah. yeah. So that's where I invested in and fixing those properties up, adding value, which then adds value to the whole neighborhood, that type of thing. Yeah. Interesting. So- you are, you've got your finger on the pulse, which seems important. So yeah. you probably now have an intuition that is very good for your thing. And I noticed this, like it doesn't take me a lot of work to help people with their YouTube videos. Like right. I can, I can come and be like, move that, change this, this title's wrong. And yeah. it, because of the time that I've put into doing that, uh, can make big impacts with little things. And I imagine that you're very quickly able to like look at a list of properties and be like, not that one, not this is the guy. Yeah. So what I, what I learned, and again, I had to teach a lot of this stuff and get mentors and coaches is I learned I couldn't do everything myself. So my wealth and, and how much money I make, I would say really took off when I started learning about multiple income streams and then most importantly, building systems that could run without me being there. Mm -hmm. So I realized I can't be the one to go buy the new washing dryer machine, rent out the units, find new properties, all that stuff. So I built a system where my property manager, she handles all that. My main responsibility in that business is going to find new properties and then negotiate with the bank. Can I challenge you on multiple income streams real quick? Because yeah. I'm curious. You're obviously doing fantastic. Yeah. The richest people in the world have one income stream. Yeah. They've built one thing that is extremely high leverage and they've cranked the shit out of it. Yeah. Um, you could look at both of yours. I mean, I'm actually curious. Which makes more income for you these days? Is it your work with Eben or your, your income from your properties? The work with Eben. Yes, makes that makes income. more cash flow and income. Mm -hmm. And then- And the properties, you just leave it like not income so you can have more of them. Am I understanding that correctly? It's, I look at it as a different strategy because those ones are more wealth building. So if you fast forward, say 20 years from now, those are going to make a whole lot more money because the mortgages are going to be paid off. Yeah. Then I'm going to be having like a hundred- you know, so you're playing, you're well, playing a I, very long game. Can I ask you a question? Cause that, yeah. cause I was, yeah. I was always, I was surprised when Graham Stephan made his, uh, finances public, how much more he makes off YouTube than off real estate. Yeah. The numbers will be skewed because you take the money that the renters pay you and you use it to pay off the mortgage. And then once the mortgages pay off, you refinance the mortgage. Yeah. So I don't know if you can, but pretend for a second that you owned all of the hundred properties, you had a hundred percent of the equity, no debt. Yeah. And instead of refinancing for a lump sum, you just took the rent from the tenants. Yeah. What would the, what would the aggregate rent be for the hundred units that you would then be receiving as your income? 
on average about a thousand dollars a unit. So with 110 units, it would be 110,000. Got it. Yeah. That's a month. A month. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So if, so if you stopped playing the real estate game, not saying you should, I'm just trying to understand the numbers Yeah. and you let everybody pay off the mortgage for you yeah. and you're like, no refinancing, no lump sums, no new properties. Yeah. You'd make 110 grand a month off of the hundred units. Mm-hmm less expenses like for example insurance because you're gonna have to pay insurance yeah. regardless and maybe some maintenance well, got it. interesting so what's interesting is that's tell me if i'm doing my math wrong that's only a million bucks a year basically mm-hmm. well got it. most right. people are going to be upset that you said oh no no but I, dude, when i think <laughs> of a hundred units a hundred units i think of tr- ridiculous that's that's, that's cash flow though that's, that's only cash flow sell them that's because he can sell the hundred units. And if you so sold million, them, you well, then we're talking tens of millions. God. So it's a million dollars a year in rent. But if you, yeah, if you sold a hundred units, so this how is much the difference between me is I can make a couple million a year, but I right. can't sell my business. Yeah. How much would yeah. right. you no, make if no you sold universe. them all? If you owned all the equity, yeah, no debt, and you just sold them all, you're like, yeah, I'm done. The properties themselves would sell for over twenty million. That wouldn't be the equity I would have in them, but Why the not? properties. Because I have a mortgage. Oh, I'm saying if they were paid off. So 20 million oh, is the answer. over 20, yeah. 20 million. So that's, that's the difference is we look at our business as a cash flow generating thing. These are assets. Assets right. that are cash flow, but also can be sold because people and want to own it's houses. It's a relatively smaller number per month, but because it's real estate, it's like, this is going up and useful forever. It's, it's easy to sell. There's a million buyers and they sell at higher multiples. No, it's also no? true of most businesses. We own a business that is very reliant on us. But if we had the same exact business, same revenue, same profit, but we sold something that software. had a moat. Software. Software, yeah. yes. Something that had a moat. I understand. So, but, mm. but didn't need us. You would find a higher multiple on a business than on real estate property. Got it. But Charisma on Command is uniquely poorly positioned for a sale until we find a writer. So because why? So going back to the multiple it, income we, streams, us. independent of your own interest, let's say that all that you cared about was maximizing um, dollar value per, per moment of time spent. Yeah. Why not take this business that nets a couple million a year, mm-hmm. make it net a couple more million a year, substitute the people in there such that it's it's systematized in the way that you have so that it is sellable and have the and and why have multiple income streams when one of them seems lower leverage than the other is i guess my question yeah for diversification or for yeah sorry i just want to understand your question you're saying why doesn't james double the size of the evan pagan business and then sell it when I think of the wealthiest people in the world, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Mark mm-hmm. Zuckerberg, they found one thing that they could just lever and crank mm-hmm. and was super high value add and stuck with it. And I actually have heard like from the people that seem to have multiple income streams, those are smaller TR people. Like they're, they're like us, you know, they've got some real estate, they've got mm-hmm. some crypto, they got some this, they got some that. Um, yeah, it seems, it seems like if you, if you could, you would just want to figure out which of your income streams could be more quickly maximized and grown and then, and then potentially sold uh, and grow that way. So yeah, tell me why multiple income streams as opposed to a single high leverage. Yeah. Is Elon Musk a good example of that? Jeff Bezos is, but because El- Elon has Tesla, but he also has SpaceX and he mm-hmm. also has the boring company. And in 20 years, I don't know. Like right now, Tesla's the whole thing. SpaceX is so, but like, will he... In 20 years, be a guy who had one income stream? I think the way that I understand Elon is that I would describe him as a guy who jumps S-curves. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so he's got PayPal. He cashes out, does Tesla, 
builds that up, gets ready, cashes out, does SpaceX. Got it. You're not saying one income stream in a lifetime. You're saying one income focus at a time. Yes. That makes more sense to me. One income focus at a time. So tell me about that. Yeah. So I, I actually subscribe to a little bit of that thinking in the sense that I, with the money making thing in my life, it's online business. That's what I do. That's all I want to do. That's the lever that I'm really cranking. And I am looking for additional ways to scale that and leverage it now that I've been doing that for over 10 years, for example. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one focus. When it comes to wealth building, real estate is the one lever for me that I've learned how to maximize and really leverage. So I don't invest in stocks. I don't invest in crypto, NFTs, none of that. Mm-hmm. I just focus on those two things. And within those, now I'm at a point where, yes, before, like I mentioned when I was earlier in my career, I want to build that foundation now there's other things beside money that motivate me. Mm-hmm. So part of it is also things I'm interested in, things I can contribute in, things yeah. I like helping mentoring, that type of stuff. So that's part of my motivation these days, which 10 years ago wasn't. Well, I also think that jumping S-curves is an important part of it because like charisma on command cannot be a I'm, trillion dollar I'm going to describe what I mean by that. So just because I, I, we know that terminology. The idea of uh, growth of anything is that it's like slow, 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 as you yeah. described. Then you go exponential, things are kicking butt, and then you hit uh, a limit in some form of your capacity or the market. And, some and so, so it looks like an S. Some businesses are going to have, like Tesla's S-curve is going to end at a trillion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Charisma on Command yeah. can't, be a trillion dollar business. So unless we change, unless some of the limitations and constraints. No, I just think different businesses have different abilities to affect the market. Not a trillion, but it could be a lot more than it is. Yeah, but it can't be a trillion. I agree. So what I'm saying is if your goal is only to maximize your own wealth, uh, you would, you would sell the business and start something else. And I think you're, you might be in a similar position, which is Evan Pagan's business can make millions and millions of dollars. But even if it was your sole focus, it's not going to make $100 million a year. I just Can I finish the jumping S-curves thing? So you've got a, a business or an asset, which is an S-curve. And that the idea is that when you notice that you start leveling off, which is kind of what we have felt not has to happen with Charisma on Command, but based on our level of interest, is starting to happen, that we want to shift to the podcast or D&D and start that slow build-up phase while we still have the exponential growth yeah, the, of this I, other one so that when this one levels off, oh, guess what? We're we're jumping S curves in terms of our income potential. Yeah, so Charisma on Command is still growing. Thank God, we're very blessed. The mm-hmm. idea is that we put th- three years into D and D now that we'll never make money. But in three years, if Charisma on Command were to plateau and no longer be growing, the time invested would already be done in D and D. So now D and D is taking off because we put time into it before Charisma on Command plateaued. Whereas a lot of people don't jump S curves, and so they own a business. And then it starts to plateau or even shrink and they haven't put work into other stuff. And then they pass. So then they have to <laughs> they have to go do the non profitable first three years while their primary business isn't doing well. Mm-hmm. So that some people do that. I mean you don't have to jump S curves, but that's the philosophy behind jumping S curves. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. Got it. So But I think sorry, I think what James is saying is that there's for his own personal wealth, correct me if I'm wrong, that Evan's business creates cash for him, but cannot be ten X'd. And yes. so he puts it into real estate where he can 10x his wealth mm-hmm. because Evan's business won't be a $100 million. Is that accurate to your business. belief about Evan's business? Yeah, well, it's actually our business now. So it's your like guys business. the ones that we, we partner on, yeah. And no, I, I believe we could 10x that per se and working on ways to, to increase it and grow it right now. So absolutely that can continue growing. And I would say in that, in that realm with my day-to-day, I'm also interested in other passion projects 
that challenge me in different ways and mm. maybe aren't financially incentivized or motivated. So that's, and it depends on, it depends on sort of what your strategy is and what you're interested in, what you want to do. And so. you were interested in real estate. So it's, it's, instead of just being a multiple income player, you're like, I'm curious, this is interesting. I want to understand this world. I, I loved it and yeah. I got into it and I love building things and I love building systems about it. And I took, you know, I guess some pride in buying these properties, fixing them up got and it. I've always liked Lego when I was younger. And that, so it was like, <laughs> that also is too. Is yeah, like, there's something tangible, which is really something, cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. Do you think that real estate is a good idea for everyone who has the means, the 50 grand's in the bank? Or do you think that there's other personality requirements or risk tolerances or interests for someone? Like I, this is something I think of personally, if I should be doing real estate, because it doesn't appeal to me necessarily at the moment. I don't know a lot about it. And what I do instead is I just invest in random private businesses, basically. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm being an idiot or not. So do you think everyone should do real estate after they have a certain amount of savings? Or what's your philosophy on who real estate's investing is good for? So my, my first mindset is I do think everybody should have a wealth building strategy. I mm-hmm. think that's important for the long term. Again, the thing that kept me up at night is I never wanted to be that person. I'm like 60 and relying on somebody else to take care of me. So yeah. I think everybody should have a wealth building strategy. Yeah. I think you can also get started no matter where you are with whatever you have. There's always way. You don't need 50,000. You don't need 25,000, whatever in the bank. You can start with whatever you have. And I think that's a mindset first that you can always find a way. And then I think I subscribe to the Warren Buffett philosophy of invest in what you know. So for me, for example, I invested in property where I grew up. I knew it. I knew it like the back of my hand. I grew up there, that type of thing. And because I had lived in homes, we all lived in homes. I had a decent understanding of how it worked and it was simple that I could understand it. Mm. So that's why I went for there. I don't understand NFTs. I don't understand cryptos. I'm not going to do that. I also think that invest, it's important to differentiate between investing and speculating. If you're just throwing your money on the craps table, hoping they win, that's speculating. Same as some people do. And what really made sense to me with real estate and why I liked it is because I found that if you're in it for the long term, your risk is pretty minimized. I think the people that get into trouble are the ones that go into it. They see these fix and flip shows and think they're going to make 10, 20, 30 grand in 30 days or something like that. I don't advise that personally. Mm-hmm. I've never done that. So I, I focus on it for the long term. And I think you're going to be in a good position if you can hold something for five, 10 years, same as like the stock market. We've seen this charts like, you know, 10 year average, the Dow Jones, S&J, whatever it is, goes up, that type of thing. And I think that what I liked about real estate to minimize my risk even further is that if you buy a cash flow producing property, your tenants are paying down the mortgage. Mm-hmm. So you're, you month to month, you don't really have a lot of risk. Yes, the market might change. It might go up. It might go down. But if you're not paying attention to that because you're not planning on selling, it doesn't keep me up at night. I don't really care about it. And those are principles I learned again from Warren Buffett and um, some of the famous value investors mm-hmm. where if you are you know, checking your, your stats every single day and seeing, you can get sketched out by that. But for real estate, I'm like, no, I'm going to keep this for 15, 20 years. I'm probably not going to sell it. I'm going to turn it into a legacy. I'm not worried about that. All yeah. I'm worried about is the monthly financials and cash flow somebody else is paying for. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, for everybody out there, one of the reasons we wanted to have you come on is because you, uh, one, we wanted to hear the story from you and we knew it would potentially be interesting to people in the audience because we were thinking of having, go ahead. Are you rapping? Yeah. I had one other question. Go ahead. Not about real estate. Uh, You can cut that. So, because, well, it's kind of what you're talking about. So we don't necessarily have to cut it. You were going to say, James knows three things, right? It's like networking, real estate, and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. 
we have a lot of people on the podcast, I know this from their questions, that are interested in starting their own business. What are the most common mistakes you see from people who haven't run a business before who do try to be entrepreneurs? Because I think a lot of people that listen to this are on the, on board with that. I don't want to have a job. I don't want to be in a company where someone else tells me what to do. I want to start my own business, but they're scared they're going to screw it up. What are the ways that most people, what are the most common screw-ups that people make? Yeah, the most common screws up with entrepreneurship, I would say probably if I had to pick a few, it would be for, for somebody who's brand new starting out, yes. I would probably say not focusing on sales and marketing upfront day zero. I mm-hmm. think most people probably, if they were starting up, they'd like, I got to have my website perfect. Mm-hmm. I got to go talk to a lawyer and get all the patents and trademarks and blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. They spend tens of thousands of dollars and they've never once considered their ideal customer. They never once considered what problems or solutions they can solve. And so they're not focused on sales. Mm-hmm. This is why we recommend marketing step-by-step. Yeah. That's, I that, agree with you, by the way. I see a lot of people us. go, yeah. I spent a year making a product and I got a patent. Build it and they will come. Does anyone, yeah, yeah. Has anyone yeah. expressed interest in this product? Yeah. yeah. So well, that's beyond expressed interest, has anyone handed you money? Because I know that all your friends told you it's a great idea. Yeah. They're not going right. to buy it from you. So yeah, that makes sense because that's the marketing step-by-step philosophy. You would say that the thing people should do that they don't do is start by finding the people that are their ideal customer avatar and then interviewing them about their fears, frustrations, and aspirations. That's definitely one great approach, yes, to understand what people want and then how can you create a solution for that. Yeah. And I think people also make the mistake of thinking that they're going to accelerate that S-curve. We see all these stories in the news right now of people buying an NFT and becoming, what, millionaires overnight. Mm-hmm. Yes, maybe that happens a little bit, but it's not the norm. And yep. I think with a business, you've got to build up that trust, that authority, stick with it, and be willing to stick with it, even when maybe you're only getting one comment or a few views or whatever, but for the long term, and then it's going to accelerate. Mm. So I think that's really important. And the other thing I would do is not try and reinvent the wheel. I think a lot of people, maybe when they think about entrepreneurship, they think of like a Jeff Bezos or Facebook, and I've got to come up with the next one of those. Nothing right or wrong with that, but I think you're going to be a lot more successful if you don't try and reinvent the wheel. You focus on something that is successful and then put your own twist on it, your own way of adding value onto it. I didn't reinvent real estate. You know what I mean? Like I took a model and then I made it my own. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would, that's what I would recommend. Cool. Awesome. All right. Yeah. And then I think the last question is just, uh, what NFT should I buy if I want to get rich quick? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think I would recommend. I'm not a Charisma command coin. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not on um, Newly minted. <laughs> oh my gosh. Should be out today, guys. NFT. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I hope so, someone doesn't. I, I make that joke so often. I worry someone else will create a Charisma command coin. Yeah. No, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Dogs are berserking. Anyways, I want to wrap because one of the things that we wanted to do, you, thanks for coming down, obviously, yeah, yeah. hanging out with us in the, in the big home. Uh, we were curious because you you reached out to us and said, I might be able to help you in the way that I helped Evan. And if you've listened, do you understand what that means? You said that you could potentially be able to share interesting insights, content with our audience. And we wanted to bring you on to see if any of the things we talked about were interesting. So if you're out there and you heard something about either real estate, entrepreneurship, or networking that intrigued you and you want more of that totally no cost for free really just as yeah. a sense to get if you guys care about this kind of stuff in a meaningful way from james james has agreed to make something for whatever is the most popular topic so if this interests you there's a google form in the description on the youtube channel uh, of this video and so if you go there it'll just ask you which of these topics most interest you 
any challenges that you're having here specifically so James knows what to talk to. And whatever he makes is going to be available to everybody for free. But if you care, you should vote because he's not going to make all three <laughs> topics. And we have set an internal threshold where if we don't hit this particular internal threshold, there's not enough interest and James won't spend his time doing it. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks you for uh, Yeah, thanks for, for coming sharing, down, man. James. Yeah. Good to see you. Glad yeah. to have you here in awesome. Cali, dude. Yeah. Awesome. For the rest of you, we'll see you on Patreon. Don't know that we're going to get a chance to do all the questions this week, but we will be back very soon. So we love you, and we'll see you shortly. Cheers. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save... You can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.